Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie. Low cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I have to say... uh, Solheim Cup really uh, attracting the interest um, of all of the golf fans at the moment um, it probably got off to a shaky start from a European point of view 4-0 and after the opening foursomes not a result that they would have expected but uh, Europe battling away nicely in the meantime Yeah indeed So it was actually the first time since 2009 that Team Europe has lost the opening foursomes matches uh, so it's, it's, it's really not great from that perspective it was really a nightmare start for them uh, yeah, the, but in the afternoon they produced a brilliant comeback to cut Team USA's lead from um, 4-0 down to 5-3 after the opening day Stone Pedersen side kind of were, were chasing a historic consecutive third victory in the Sondheim Cup they won it three years ago now because of the delay because of COVID in uh, Inverness in Toledo and then England Eagles before that so only the USA once have got three Sondheim Cup consecutive wins so Team Europe are trying to create a little bit of history here in uh, Finca Cordova yeah, and uh, Leona Maguire probably tasted her first defeat in, in, in the Solheim career uh, herself and Anna Nordvist they fell to Nelly Corda and uh, Alison Corpuz uh, in their uh, match yesterday but um, she battled well and ca- came right back into it in the afternoon. She did indeed. It was a, a, a dramatic final three holes. She made two massive putts on 16 and on, and on 17 and then in classic Leona style, she chipped in on 18 to win and to, to earn a valuable, valuable point for, for Team Europe. Tell us a little bit about the course, uh, Finca Cortesan um, in Spain, of course. It's a, it's a mountainside parkland golf course, but seems to be quite testing. It is, yeah. So like you said, it's a mountainside parkland golf course with severe undulations on the fairways, and massive elevation changes between fairways and greens. So the priority really is hitting your fairways off the tee. So accuracy is is a big one here. What's actually very interesting about this golf course is that the grass that is the primary grass on this golf course is called Bermuda. And that's a type of grass that's primarily found in in the States, in Florida, where a lot of these American players kind of grew up, practiced, play, and currently live. So even though this is a European home course, this is a golf course style and a grass style that the US team will be very, very comfortable with, probably more comfortable than the Europeans actually. So it'll be, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's not your typical European golf course. And we have had a hole in one as well, I believe. Yes, Emily Pedersen. So she, she was a captain's pick. She was, to be honest, probably a little bit controversial. She's kind of ranked in the 110, 115, whereas every other player apart from one other are ranked top 30 or better. So she, she was a captain's pick by Suzanne Peterson and they were one down at the time uh, and then managed to, to really turn it there on, on the 12th hole with a hole and one 
Um, and that was really the, the pendulum moment for Team Europe as a whole, actually, because shortly after that, Gemma Dryberg on the 16th hole, she chipped in to win to, to win the hole and go one up as well for Team Europe. And then, as, as I mentioned, very shortly after, Dion had a very big... She actually chipped in on 16 as well and had a big put on 17. And then again, she chipped in on 18 to take the win. So Emily Pedersen's hole in one was... Was a was a fulcrum point for Team Europe. Mm, excellent stuff. Well, uh, they've already resumed play this morning. Um, I think Emily Pedersen and uh, Carlotta Chiganda are already out there. Um, how are things faring so far? Sure. So the the first, all four groups are currently out. Emily Pedersen and Carlotta Chiganda are through six. They're playing Lilia Vu and Jennifer Cupcho. Pedersen and Chiganda for Team Europe are currently two up, which is great to see. Leona Maguire and Anna Norquist have teamed up again and they're playing against Megan Kang and Lexi Thompson. Uh, Leona got the better of Megan and Lexi there in the yesterday afternoon. They are through five holes and Anna Norquist and Leona are one up, which is again great to see. Um, Celine Boudier and Georgia Hall are playing against Nelly Corda and Alison Corpus. They're through four holes and that's the one game so far that the US are up. They're one up in that game. And then Maya Stark, Lynn Grant, are one up through three against Daniel Kang and Alison Lee. It's a it's a complete turnaround, to be honest, to, <laughs> to yesterday morning, which is which is great to see. Absolutely brings the the excitement levels. I know yesterday uh, when the reports started coming in of four and zero oh, um, from the early morning foursomes, people were starting to wonder: Is this going to be a bit of a whitewash? Because it, it, that's quite it is quite a mountain to overcome a four point lead when you only need to get 14 points to actually win the thing so um, a lot of clawing back needing to be done by Europe but they're certainly hanging in there and as you said um, dragging it right back in, up in two and all square in one Yeah it's, it's, it's very interesting it's, it'll be my, my biggest concern is the fact that one player from the European squad Caroline Headwall she hasn't played at all she ranked 129th She's again a captain's pick, but this is her fifth Solheim Cup. So I think um, Suzanne Pedersen, captain of the European team, went for a little bit of experience, but her form of, as of late, Caroline Hedwell, has been quite poor. This is going to be a battle of attrition over the next day and a half now. This golf course is very undulating. It's It's been told, told to be a very, very tough climb. This is the only time that players are actually allowed to walk it. There used to be a DP World Tour event here about eight or nine years ago, and even then, players between holes were taking buggies so this is going to be a, a battle of attrition really whoever's fittest at the end of the day is, uh, is going to come out on top So for our listeners who, who may not be fully au fait with the Solheim Cup and, and how it has uh, operated to date uh, Europe are chasing a record breaking third consecutive uh, win in this um, obviously it's the best of Europe versus the best of USA but it's been taking place since around 1990 uh, the Solheim Cup but USA are ahead 10-7 in, um, in, in tournaments at this stage that's it, yeah, exactly. So the format's the exact same as the, the Ryder Cup. 28 points on offer. Europe need to get to 14 to retain the Cup and potentially win it for the third consecutive time. Um, that, that's really the magic number. We're, we're on three so far. So um, we're, we're up in three games this afternoon so, or this morning. So it's, it's going to be very, very dramatic and hopefully a little bit of history this weekend. Give us a little bit of a prediction, uh, Johnny. I know it's uh, always difficult, but with that comeback and the little bit of balance of power shifting towards Europe, are you confident? To be honest, I am. Because every big moment, like the hole-in-one, the chip-ins, the big putts, they've all come from European players. And I think if I was to compare it against Whistling Straits on the, the last Ryder Cup, 
all of those big moments were coming from the U.S. team, and they went on to have a record-breaking win. I'm not saying it's going to be a record-breaking win, but I'm I'm, I'm confident that by, by one or two points, Europe are going to win it for the third time. Yeah, excellent. Okay, have we have we ever had to come back in past tournaments from such a deficit, like four 0 down? Had they uh, come back from behind that that often in the past? Um, in 2019, yes. So when. Uh, Suzanne Pedersen who actually made the winning putt mm. to win the Solheim Cup uh, in Glen Eagles we were down by five going into the final day it's time to talk NFL now and uh, as always we're joined on the line by the one and only uh, Stephen O'Brien of the UK Packers podcast morning Stephen how are you? Reginald, what's going on? I'm good. I'm very good. Despite the Packers losing last week. I know. That seems to be a a tagline at this stage with you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I tried to get ahead of the game here, Reg, because usually when the Packers lose, it's Steve from the UK Packers podcast. His team suck. How are you doing, Steve? How do things go? Look, no, it's positive. It's positive. I'm actually, do you know what? I'm buoyed as well by the fact that the big division rival for the Packers and it's the oldest rivalry in the NFL. In NFL history, it's been going on over 100 years, is the Chicago Bears-Reds. They're an absolute shambles. So, mm. I mean, you know, swings around a bit. Well, what is the mayhem? Uh, they're criticising coaches, their defensive coordinators yeah. designing, uh, yeah. very mysterious, sinister circumstances, perhaps? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's, that's a rough one, Reds, really. So, yeah, look, the, the Bears, it's funny, really, because look, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback for the Packers for forever and before him it was Brett Favre and he was the quarterback for forever and before Brett Favre came to town back in the 90s uh, the Bears would dominate uh, the Packers and they had, the Bears had a fantastic squad in the 80s in fact and 1985 um, is their big season so Rodgers leaves and the Bears are they always get this hope every season Reg right which is a shame uh, but they were delighted because we're thinking, look, Aaron Rodgers is gone. Um, you know, he hit the headlines in the last couple of years because he beat the Bears and he shouted into the crowd, I own you, I still own you. And that went viral and then they were so annoyed. So look, Jordan Love comes in, their new quarterback for the Packers and the Bears are thinking, great, finally, we're going to get back on top again to face the Packers in week one. They do it in Soldier Field, which is their home stadium, and they get tasted. And so that's bad for them. And everyone's sort of asking questions, Reg, in the Chicago Bears thing. But look, it's week one, and we talked about it last week. You know, there's all of these overreactions and all this. And, but from looking at the game tape, Reg, they, they look like a bad squad. Uh, Justin Fields is their quarterback, right? So they call him a running back, and they sort of use that as a slight against him because he's not a very good passer and that he scrambles out of the pocket more than he really should. Um, so when you look at the game tape, that seems to ring true. So week two rolls around and they face the Bucks and they're thinking, right, we're going to get it back here. And they lose again. And usually teams like, you know, I, hopefully we'll talk about Bill Belichick and the Patriots. They've gone zero and two as well this season. But there's a whole different vibe. But now the Bears start to, they sort of start to implode. Justin Fields, their quarterback, comes out and they ask him, what's happening? Mm. And he says, oh, I don't know. I just feel very robotic and sort of, you know, stuck and I, I can't get going. And they said, well, why do you think that is? And he should have just given the canned PR response of, oh, I'll shake it off, it'll be fine. Do you know what he says, Reg? It must be the coaching. <laughs> so then, oh, then all the NFL outlets dive on that, and it's mayhem. In between all of that, like you said, their defensive coordinator, um, Alan Williams, resigns. Now, there was all of these really sinister, dark... Uh, Rumours going around that his house was raided by the FBI and that the Hallis Hall was raided. That is fake news. That did not happen. And they mm-hmm. came out and said that that didn't happen. However, it is very, very strange that he has 
uh, resigned because it was after week two. Um, and it seemed to catch the organisation by surprise, Reg. And you know, playing at the top of the game, a coach just doesn't from a top squad walk out the door and then they don't have some sort of statement, uh, PR plan, you know, but they were asking the head coach after, what what the hell is going on? And he was like, uh, and he was trying to avoid the questions. Something bad has happened there. Mm. I don't know what it is, whether it's him personally. Uh, he said that he was taking time away for his health and family. So that's a breaking story to come in. But just to cap off the Bears, and you can tell I'm very excited about the division yeah. rival being in the doldrums, right? Uh, but they got a hundred grand's worth of equipment stolen from their stadium. Someone knocked down a security fence and drove lawnmowers and everything else out of the place. So they're even getting pilfered in their own home. So <laughs> it's a bad season. And it's week three, Reg. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, it's not the greatest getaway car I've ever heard of a, a lawnmower being driven down the road. I, I'm a yeah. bit surprised they didn't catch those thieves. Turn the blades off at least. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Get the noise down. Okay. Um, well, look, apart from the Bears and their uh, 2-0 and loss ratio at the moment, uh, injuries are piling up for everybody else as well. And there's some yeah. big names. I see the quarterback for the Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow, has a calf injury. Yeah, it's one of those things. Look, Burrow kind of came into the NFL, Reg, with kind of these lingering injuries. I mean, there was a there's a photo of him sitting in a chair, and you know he's a cool, he's sort of Joe Cool. You know, Joe Namath was Joe Cool back with the Jets, but he's the new Joe Cool. But you can see this massive scar on his leg, and I think it was knee surgery he got at the time. Now it's a calf injury, and they started off the season zero and two. And to put that into perspective, Joe Burrow reached the Super Bowl. And he didn't win it now, but he reached it in his second season uh, with the Bengals. So, you know, the expectations are always high there and they've absolutely started the season terribly. But he's only, as you say, like one of a, a long laundry list now that's kind of adding up. Not to wax too lyrical about it, but the Packers were without our number one wide receiver, our number one running back, our left tackle, who protects the quarterback. He's very important. And the left guard, which helps out the left tackle to protect your quarterback. Uh, aside from that, then, we, you know, we've talked about Aaron Rodgers. He was supposed to bring the Jets to the Super Bowl this year on that sort of blockbuster move. He's out for the season. Uh, Browns running back Nick Chubb, fantastic player, really grisly injury uh, last week. He got sort of double tackled. He's out for the season. Uh, Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins, out for the season. Uh, so if you play fantasy football and fantasy NFL, it's so frustrating. But it just goes to show, Reg, right? Like, And you'll know about this in rugby when you have sort of this standout player like yourself uh, and if one of you get injured you know they can plug the next guy up but it really does impact especially when you have it at a really key position and that seems to have been what's happened here for the Colts because their rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson is out injured and then Bryce Young for the Panthers is also out so you can see what happened with the Jets Reg I mean mm. they were Bucky's favourites to go to the Super Bowl Aaron Rodgers uh, plays four plays gets injured out for the season and then their Super Bowl odds tank it really does in the NFL sometimes come down to one position and I'd even look I won't talk too much about it now but you know the left tackle for the Packers David Bakhtiari uh, he had a massive impact when he's out because that's the blind side for the quarterback that's the side he can't really see he needs that short up so anybody sort of casually watching the game will go why are they playing so bad and it sometimes comes down to one position on the offensive line that isn't a great glamorous position that can really scupper your squad for a couple of weeks until you get them back Yeah I can uh, relate to it I mean you look at the uh horrific injury to Anton Dupont 
the yeah. French scrum half. Uh, not fully sure yet. They're still waiting to give us a complete update on it, but uh, mm-hmm. he's out and uh, most likely for the rest of the World Cup and it will really, really dramatically affect France, but also... Game it's, changer. Yeah, it's a game changer for France, but it's also a huge disappointment for all rugby fans. We'd love to see him still yeah. in this World Cup to see what he does. It's exactly. kind of like losing a Messi or someone else like that from the yeah. football. It's it's that big a deal, you know, but um, anyway, we wish him well. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Bill, Belich- uh, Bill Belichick earlier, um, the New mm-hmm. England Patriots. They're starting the season with two losses. That's the first time that has happened since 2001. It's mad, isn't it? Mm. 22 years. And in fact, here's another uh, crazy thing. I'll go stat for stat with your rage. Come on, let's do it. Yeah. It's the first time they've lost two home games to start the season since 1975. Wow. So Bill Belichick, look, he's... And that was his second season, by the way, to, uh, 2001. Uh, just unbelievable coach. And this is the thing with the NFL, right? And this is where... I think some people on this side of the pond get frustrated with it because it's all stat-based. It's like baseball. Everyone's firing stats at you and sort of saying they haven't done this, they haven't done that. Uh, the Packers released this thing, actually, and I think all teams do, call it Dope Sheet, where they list all, like, they've played them 17 times over 2 million years and they've lost 17% of those games. Mm. And it's all meaningless unless you look behind it. So let's have a look. I mean, they started the season against the Eagles, who are always tipped to go to the Super Bowl now. Uh, and the Dolphins, again, uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, Tagovailoa, I know your favourite uh, player to pronounce, Reg, on yeah. the radio early in the morning of a Saturday. Uh, again, he's like an MVP candidate. So, I mean, you've come up against two really strong squads in the Eagles and Dolphins, two dynamic teams. They can beat you all over the park. So looking at, and then, I mean, look, the New England Patriots haven't done themselves any favours. They were turning the ball over early in those games. And in fact, it's the first time the Patriots have faced two games under Bill Belichick where they've trailed by 10 points in both contests. But look, they roared back, Reg. You know, Mac Jones, he's not seen as the glamorous Tom Brady type or a Tua or a Jalen Hurts or whatever. Uh, but he was able to rally the team back and come back. But the thing is, and this is the thing about NFL, which is so interesting, is, is that if you give up a large lead at the beginning of a game, it makes you really one-dimensional because really quickly, if you run the ball, the clock keeps running. Um, so if you do that and you're down points, you're running time off the clock and you don't want to do that. You want to pass the ball because if a pass falls uh, incomplete, well, then the, the game clock stops. So when the you know when the Patriots are down 10 points, they're going to be slinging that ball to try to keep time on the clock and come back into the game. So it kind of takes away your game plan as well. Um, so it's a completely different dynamic. But Bill Belichick focuses on the fundamentals, and that's what they need to do here. Just stop turning the ball over. But I will say, if you're a Patriots fan, um, sucks to be you, first off. But you've had your glory, right? Yeah. I mean, you've had so many years of Super Bowl, so let's relax here, okay? But what I will say is, is you sort of look at this, Reg, and you go, ooh, that's a tough start. You know, Eagles, good squad. Dolphins, great squad. And then you go, well, week three, they'll get it back together, right? Now, they're facing the Jets. Now, the Jets are not the same team without Aaron Rodgers, but their defense is absolutely crazy. Uh, so they've got a really tough test there, Reg. And then you go, all right, they might drop to the Jets. That's 0-3. That's not great. On to week four, the Cowboys, Reg. And the Cowboys are playing fantastic this season. So it's Bill Belichick. He's able to take away your best weapons. He's able to make you one-dimensional, and you can never write off uh, old Bill. But he's coming up against the Jets and Cowboys, right? I don't know where the losing streak stops. They're going to hope it's this week, but the Jets have a sneaky way sometimes of beating the Patriots when you think they won't. So, we'll watch that uh, if you're a Patriots fan and a Bears fan, not good. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Okay. How did we get on last week in the ACA? Don't want to talk about it, okay. I think we get on to the. No, but you know this what? week's ACA will do that. <laughs> 
It'll do, it'll do. Look, it's, it, we're, what we're doing is we're trying to play the spreads. Um, so uh, one of our games lost last week, it went into overtime. Um, so we're like, oh, for God's sake. So look, the week three act, this is where we all pull it back together. The 10 are down and 70 back. Uh, look, the Dolphins, we just spoke about them. They waxed the Patriots. They come up against the Broncos. The Broncos are a bit of a dumpster fire. This is, the, this is where Sean Payton comes in, blames the old coach for doing such a bad job. And now he's doing a bad job. Uh, so the Dolphins are minus 6.5 to win that game. Uh, which is a touchdown, so I think they can cover it. Uh, here's one, again, caveat here, right? And going for the Packers versus the Saints. The Packers are favourites, but only by a point and a half. So, you know, if they get a field goal over the Saints, they win. Packers are ravaged with a bit of injury, Reg. The Saints have a fantastic defence, but I'm not convinced. Of course, you can listen to the podcast to see why. Uh, that's a minus 1.5. Packers are at home, their first home game of the season for Jordan Love. And I just, you know, maybe it's biased, but I expect them to win that game. And the third uh, in the ACA is the Buffalo Bills, who had a bit of a shaky start to the season, but they're still a great squad. Minus 6.5 in a spread. So they need to beat the Commanders, Washington Commanders, what a name, uh, by 6.5 points. So a touchdown again. And if that romps home, which I hope it will, uh, it's a 6 1 odds, so a 10 or down and about 70 or 71 euro back. Finally here, the moment of truth. Everybody's been waiting for it. The build-up has been dramatic. Ireland take on South Africa later on tonight. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Will Slattery of the Irish Independent and Left Wing Podcast. Haven't spoken for a while. Will, great to chat to you. Yeah, great to be back, Reggie, and what a day for it. Oh my God, what a day for it. Yeah, the excitement, I, I have to say, I mean, I know we're, we're getting carried away, but the excitement levels all week have gone through the roof uh, across Ireland. Um we're nowhere near the knockout stages. We're kind of uh, a long way off any titles, but uh, this feels like this. Uh, this is the the moment of truth for this Irish team. It's funny. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I'm trying to put my finger on why it's captured everyone's attention in quite the way it has. I, I think you know the fixture was first announced over a thousand days ago. That's almost three years that we've been waiting for this game and everything that's happened in the meantime. You know, it's kind of viewed through the prism of the World Cup and and this looming South African clash. And it's just set up so nicely. And I think the anticipation grows from the fact that Ireland are in such a good place. 27 wins out of 29, 15 wins in a row. The team looks so sharp. Key men are in great form. The collective is in great form. And then the kind of the, the narratives and the subplots around 7-1 splits, the kind of South African mind games, and the fact that the, you know, the tournament maybe opens up a slightly better path if you win. So it's all into the mix as an absolute cracker and I agree I, I can't remember the last time a game has quite got this amount of build up you're probably coming back a very long time potentially to that first Grand Slam under Declan Kidney like, that's how big it feels even though as you say it's only a pool match and we're a long way from the end of the tournament Absolutely and, and rumours of over 50,000 Irish fans making the journey I know one man who's going via Belgium getting the train from Belgium this morning uh, to get over to Paris for the game this evening uh, train planes and automobiles but uh, over 50,000 fans expected to be in Paris today for this one um, it, it, has, it really has captured the imagination uh, of, of the Irish fans yeah, and I wouldn't underestimate the significance of yeah. that. As Johnny Sexton alluded to, like <laughs> Ireland's experience in the Stade of France is always, you know, you know, really on the receiving end of a very hostile atmosphere. And and we saw one of the two defeats uh, Ireland has suffered on this winning run was in that first game, kind of with fans back post COVID, where it was a shock to the system for a lot of the the guys like Hugo Keane and Caelan Doris who wouldn't have experienced that kind of partisan atmosphere. So to have that flipped around on its head. It could be a massive lift for the Irish team, and in particular if they go on in this tournament to kind of 
get a standard France experience under their belt with a really reciprocal Irish crowd on their back, that could be massive. I really wouldn't underestimate it. It hasn't really been talked about a huge amount in the build-up, but I think it could be it could be a crucial element to that. Like Ireland will be the vast majority supporters there, and they're very strong with an Irish crowd at their back. I'll tell you one thing you cannot underestimate that I'll never forget Telstra Dome, Melbourne, 2003. Uh, we took on the Aussies and lost, but we didn't get there in the end. But uh, the noise levels were off the charts from the Irish fans and it gives you an incredible lift on the pitch. It just has, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're just buzzing the whole time and, and you take that atmosphere and in Paris to have that at your back uh, against the South African side will be huge. So you're right, I think it'll be, I think it'll give them a huge lift and uh, might be the factor that gets them across the line. Let's hope so. Now, you mentioned the 7-1 split. There's been a lot of Strange conversation, I'll put it uh, this way, this week around that 7-1 split. For me personally, I don't see the problem with it. I mean, you know, th- there's nothing that says you couldn't pick 15 forwards on a rugby team if you want. You might suffer, though. You might be at a disadvantage. Um, I'm just not getting the fuss over this 7-1 split. Well, like, obviously, a lot of people probably saw Matt Williams, your former coach, saying yeah. you're morally wrong. And I don't agree with that route. It made for a good, you know, copy or, or what have you. But I do think tactically it's a major, major error. And I'm expecting that to be a vital part of a potential Ireland victory uh, later on if it does come. If you just look at the makeup of the bench and look back to, say, the one game they played in the Razzie Erasmus era last November, who was the key man in the second half? to change the game it was Willie LaRue coming off the bench as another playmaking option he helped create the two tries that they scored so they've sacrificed the ability to change that area of the game to focus solely on the forward power and okay are you going to tell me that Marco Van Staden uh, I think an average enough springbok by their standards is worth more than Willie LaRue off the bench I think absolutely not you're saying you're bringing on seven forwards that means there's only going to be one marquee forward of the starting pack the best pack in the world that's going to go the full 80 uh, are you telling me that none of those other guys as good as they are are good enough to, to last the full 80 and have major impact for moments. There's a reason those guys are starting in the first place. Among the seven forwards, there's no second hooker. You can say Dion Perry can show the line out and play there before, which he has. But at the international level, that's a major ask. And then also, I don't think the quality of the forward is what it was even in 2019. Mm. Like Jean Klein is one of the additional forwards picked. He wasn't deemed good enough to get in the Ireland training squad. I mentioned Marco Van Staden there. Like Ronan O'Gara said that, you know, Cobus Ryan can cover a host of positions as a scrum half, but like, and Quagga Smith, a flanker, can do the same, but like, that's like saying Josh Van der Fleer's real quick, he could play on the wing, you know. I think they're one injury away from the whole thing really unraveling with them, and there's just a lot of question marks over Manny LeBoc as well. Yep. You don't really have the opportunity to change him. You could maybe bring on LaRue to full back Willem to the 10 if you had that option. I think you, they could have gone 6 2, and they would have had a really robust, powerful forward pack and have the options to change it. For this, for this, I just think it's tactically farmy. And look, the proof will be in the pudding at 10pm tonight, whether it's a good call or not. But I think they'll have won in spite of this selection, not because of it. So I'm very, very intrigued to see how it goes. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't, I don't agree with it from a tactical point of view. I have nothing to do. I don't mind the morality. I don't believe that it's, it affects anything. you still got three front row players. I get Matt Williams' point about injury, but the, there's three front row players still on the bench, uh, which is compulsory. That's the area that's uh, dangerous, you know, is the front row. Yeah. So that's, that's dealt with. So I don't buy into that other stuff that was uh, being mentioned. But, uh, you know, again, as you said, you look at DuPont getting injured so early in that game. You look at 
any anybody a, a key playmaker the 10 God forbid if anything was to happen to ours the state that we might be finding ourselves in um, and I, as much as I love Tyke Furlong and how, how amazing his hands are I don't want him standing out in the back line you know uh, I, I, I don't want forwards coming on that have to play in those key positions and it could happen very very quickly to South Africa um, and, and I, I agree I just agree with it completely I, th- I just think it's too risky also you're only giving yourself a one maybe two forward advantage over what the opposition have anyway well, so exactly I mean, like so the, it's the benefit of having the seventh forward so great yeah. that's my point is Marco van Staden going to make such a big impact that it's worth risking your entire game plan yeah. if there's an injury in the back line and you're robbing yourself of Willie LaRue one of the great playmakers in world rugby for me that's just like utterly mad yeah. and I actually would be intrigued to see if this was the opening game and they hadn't already beaten Scotland would they go with this selection like part of me is wondering are they like do they think that they're, they have a foot in the quarters and they're kind of like trying to lay down a mark or put out a statement or get in Ireland's head like it's hard to know what Ozzy Erasmus thinks with some of these things um, as I mentioned like not calling up an, a, an actual hooker after the injury to Malcolm Marks like that's a, that's a, that's a major like they obviously really feel they needed Andre Pollard but that's a major risk as well against like, the Irish line-out that, that strips opposition line-outs uh, continually you know they yeah. do it for fun Peter Manny goes up for fun stealing opposition line-out ball and if you've got a hooker that's inexperienced and doesn't like yeah I, I've played in so many games where a line-out falls apart and the whole team falls apart if you don't win your line-out ball you're not winning games yeah you're requiring Mbanambi who's a world-class hooker to basically go the full 80 like or, or maybe get 75 minutes and you get Dion Fury on like I'm like you know, to be fair, I, I haven't seen Dion Fury play a hooker. Nobody has in about five or six years because yeah. he doesn't play there. Now, he could come in and be unbelievable because he has played there before and then maybe it'll, it'll look a lot more sensible than it appears at the moment. But it, again, it seems just like an unnecessary risk and I think that whole back, you know, pack, or bench selection is an unnecessary risk. But we, you must, we, I suppose we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that their starting team is bloody good. Absolutely. That pack, that pack is the best pack in world rugby. So... You know they they might be able to get the job half done with their starting team, and it might not matter quite as much. But it just leaves them open to variables that the Irish bench, for instance, instance doesn't. Like the Irish bench for me has more game changers than the South African bench. Robbie Henshaw, the ability to bring him on, a versatile back, world class centre who can also cover other positions as well, for me is much more valuable than if they had shoehorned on, you know, Joe McCarthy onto the bench. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about Ireland. Um, Pretty much as expected, you know. Um, it's a strong side. There's no question about it. It's a it's a really really strong side and a, a side that have found form. I mean, okay, we we didn't have the biggest challenges in our opening two games, but at the same time, you're putting 82 points on the board in your opening game, playing some pretty decent rugby, and you've got someone like Bundyaki in the form of his life at the moment. Uh, things looking solid throughout interplay between forwards and backs it just seems to be timing itself quite well now this is not the World Cup final and semi-final or even quarter-final at this stage but it's a big marker in terms of what Ireland want to lay down they'll be going absolutely all out for a victory in this one and, and putting it to bed that they've qualified uh, at this stage and, and not having to leave it to a Scottish game to, to, to get qualification 
Yeah, and then nobody knows more than Ireland that winning your pool with all your matches doesn't guarantee anything come quarter final time. But the, but the crest of the way that this Ireland team is on, I think it's a much more important victory for Ireland tonight than if South Africa were together. South Africa know they're basically into the quarter final, barring some unusual results to come. They know that they can take on the French power. Ireland, I think, want to keep this winning run going. And I agree with you. Like you, Romania and Tonga are obviously you know weak teams, but I think. The way they put them to the sword, we know from previous World Cups, if you pick your strongest team and don't put the team to the sword, the doubts creep in. You know, it can really put you under pressure then to deliver in your big game when when it comes around. So I, I don't think it could have gone any better. Like Ireland come into this game with basically everyone fit and firing. Like Dan Sheehan's just back. I know Jack Conan's probably the one player they're missing, but God, you'd have bitten. You know, someone's hand off of that was offered to you before the tournament. Like in contrast, as we mentioned, Malcolm Marks is gone. Andre Pollard's not fit. Lucanio Amo and Luke Jaeger didn't even make it to the tournament. That's like five key starters for the Springboks. And couple that with their bench issues, I think Andy Farrell will be delighted with the way they're coming into this game. That's why it all seems so primed for a really big performance tonight. There's nothing in the build-up anyway that I feel like we are going to be looking back on if they do lose and say, oh, that was what tripped them up. It's all about delivering and executing tonight. That's why I think Ireland are in such a good place because there's no signs at the moment that they're not capable of dealing with the pressure and delivering. This is a major step up, the biggest test they've probably had in this 29-game sequence. Mm. But they seem so well prepared for it, you know, tactically, form-wise. Even Johnny Sexton after a six-month layoff looked really razor sharp in those two games but as we saw with the DuPont moment the other night it's one tackle away from your whole plans being upended so that's why everything is so delicately poised on a knife edge Absolutely and, and, and why we're uh, also excited about it has to be said now you mentioned uh, the DuPont injury um Horrific to see it. Like for rugby fans and every rugby fan that I've spoken to, the odd one has said, Oh, it's great for us because, you know, we went. Yeah, no, it's not. We want to see the best players in the world playing and we want to play against them. We want to beat them with the best players in their team. It doesn't look great now. I mean, I know they're not absolutely coming out and say he's gone, but it doesn't look great for, his, for the rest of his tournament, does it? Well, it's funny you mentioned this because just as I came on, there was reports, more reports in France that he had surgery last night uh, to insert a you know a plate or a pin into his you know into that into that cheekbone, and they're they're optimistic that he might be back for semi-finals and potentially even quarter-finals. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't rule anything out. Honestly, mm. I, I think we will see him again at I the semi-final so. stage if France get that far, and. If he's ha- if, if there's a, a if it's a possibility of him playing in that quarterfinal, he'll play. Like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for France in a home World Cup as the favourites. He is the key man, the captain, the main man, the biggest star in world rugby. Like unless it's like threatening to his long term health and he he is fit to play, I think they'll take the risk because it, it, they won't they might not win a quarterfinal if they don't have him. It's like if they get over that hump, you know, potentially it opens up for them again. But that quarter final is probably their defining game. They're either going to be playing South Africa or most likely Ireland. I know I've discounted Scotland there, but and it could come back to bite me. But that's what it looks like. I think they're going to press press them back into action before the end of the tournament. And as I agree with you, like no one wants to see this tournament without Antoine Dupont. We saw New Zealand in 2011. Dan Carter missed out, and it, it was like they ended up winning it, but it, it was—it wasn't quite the same as in 15 when he got the great moment with the drop goal, and it felt a lot more of a of a kind of a victory with their key man there. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I really hope he gets back fit, and I, I think 
you know, reading what the French are saying at the moment, they're quietly confident that he'll play a part in this tournament. Well, let's hope so. It won't be easy. I can tell you, it won't be easy if he has got a plate yeah. just inserted in his in his cheekbone or his jaw or anywhere. It won't be easy to play a match, but uh, no doubt he'll overcome that. <laughs> you have to laugh even just just even thinking about that in relation to the fact that he might play uh, with a broken jaw or a broken cheekbone and a steel plate in. Um, four weeks to the semi-final, though. Like that is like you know that's, I know it's, I don't get what you're saying, but like four weeks is a lot. We've seen players go like Johnny Sexton fractured his cheekbone on New Year's Day, and albeit that was six weeks later. But if he had to play in a six, in a, in the, if the six nations was four weeks, by all accounts, he would have been fit to play. And and his face was looked like it had been dented with a hammer. Like it looked it looked a lot worse than Dubois did. So I, I yeah, you would I would the modern medicine these days, you wouldn't know. But like look, yeah. as we said, fingers crossed he gets back. Would we see too many footballers doing it? I'm not so sure. <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, Eddie Jones, he's never uh, fails to provide entertainment. Uh, there's no question about it. He's now even calling for his own <laughs> sacking, it sounds like, the way he's talking in the press and in the papers. Um, but uh, they've got a huge game. This is the other exciting one to look forward to over the course of the weekend as Australia take on Wales in a do-or-die match for them after they were beaten uh, by Fiji, of course. Um what do you think? I, I, I'm actually siding with Wales on this one, and Wales are not the greatest team in the world, but I just leaning towards Wales. But uh, the Aussies are they really are backs to the wall. Oh, big time. You know, Eddie Jones obviously said at his start, is picking a very young team. He was talking more about the next World Cup and the Lions Tour, about building into those that'll both be on Australian soil. And I, I think the Australian public might have half accepted that had they gotten out of the group. Like, that was the bare minimum. Like, if you get out of the group and, and maybe lose a quarter final, and it's all about building for the future. Given that where they were coming from, that might have been okay. But this is, would be the worst World Cup in the history of Australian rugby if they don't get out of the pill. Even by losing to Fiji, you know, I, people might some people listening might have seen Drew Mitchell's comments during the week. I he did. was effing and blinding, and it was really, yeah. really kind of stark comments about Eddie Jones. He's not a popular guy. There, it's funny uh, for all the success he's had and the big personality. There's a lot of people who were waiting for him to slip up to, to really. But he wasn't tonight. popular before they appointed yeah. him or reappointed him. You know, he, he kind of wasn't popular anyway. Yeah, he's one of those guys that kind of like classic, like everyone's kind of cliche, but the Mourinho example, like when, when you're successful, you can only really pull that style off if you're going to be successful. Mm. You can't just go around alienating people, being really rude, turning your staff over, you know, making very erratic team selections and not win. That's just not a sustainable way to run a rugby team. And it's not something that's going to get a lot of buy-in from supporters. And I saw, you know, interesting classic Warren Gatlin, maybe a bit of mind games, but reading his column there during the week, he was saying that he thinks part of Eddie Jones's remit is to kind of boost the profile of rugby union in Australia because it is a distant fourth behind rugby league cricket and AFL. And with that Lions tour and our home World Cup to come, I think Australia feel it as vital that they have someone at the helm that's going to get eyeballs and get people talking. Dave Rennie wasn't that guy, even though his success wasn't, you know, he didn't have huge success, but he, didn't, he wasn't too bad either. Yeah. Whereas Eddie Jones has presided over an absolute car crash so far. And... Yeah, I find it really hard to call this game because Wales, like they beat Fiji, but you know they were clinging on at the end. You know, we, everyone knows Matthew Carley made a couple of very bad decisions in that game. Fiji should probably be two out of two, and you know, on course for top spot. So that pool is really odd to play for. I have a feeling there could be a kick in Australia, a small kick in Australia this weekend that might get them over the line yeah. because of the, the match point scenarios. That actually might not be enough to get them out of the group. So, it, yeah, it's very interesting. Obviously, Ireland South Africa is hoovering up most of the attention, but we have another belter on Sunday night and, you know, Gatlin and Jones, it, it's, it's just really set up. But what it really hammers home is that side of the draw is an abject 
disgrace in terms of their like watching Argentina if anyone saw them yesterday yeah. people, they were absolutely awful two matches in a row yeah. and it's ridiculous that two of those teams are going into a semi-final exactly. whereas on, on this side of the draw we're going to see two gladiators in the Coliseum tonight and you know one of them might not make it that far but look that's the way it breaks and it still make for a fascinating weekend well, it's time for GA now. Delighted to be joined in studio by the one and only Declan Drake. Declan, a pretty busy weekend ahead of us. Yes, good morning, Reg. It certainly is. Plenty of big lineouts. See what I did there? <laughs> uh, coming up over the course of the weekend as the serious business of the club championships in 2023, sponsored across the board by Go Ahead Ireland, is upon us. The last eight of the Senior One Football Championship are down for decision across the weekend with a Parnell Park double header today and tomorrow. Brian Talty will be joining us shortly to cast his eye over those and to tell us who he thinks will make the last eight. Before that, though, just wanted to bring you up to date on the status of the Senior One Hurling Championship in the county. Now, St. Vincent's and Luke and Sarsfields are through directly to the semi-finals. Who will join them? Well, that will be decided at county headquarters a week tomorrow. Two intriguing quarterfinals on the agenda and some big guns, Reg, are going to have their championship fire extinguished here. County champions Kilmacud Croaks taking on Nafina in a repeat of last year's decider, which of course Croaks won. Well, uh, before that, Ballyboden St. Enda's Tackle cooler. Plenty of more on those two massive games in the hurling championship next weekend. To the ladies' scenes, and first of all, we must say congratulations to 12 Dublin All Ireland winners nominated for TG Car All Star Awards. They will be announced mid November at the annual awards banquet. And one of those nominees, indeed, is goalkeeper Abby Shields from Luke and Sarsfields, as she picked up the individual uh, 2023 Golden Glove Award during the week for saves made in the 2023 Championship. So congratulations to Abby on that particular achievement and one would have to think that uh, she will be the All-Star goalkeeper come November but uh, we've seen enough surprises at these events over the years but uh, we certainly wish her and her 11 colleagues every success uh, and uh, good wish is ahead of that particular event. On the field of play, the last four of the Ladies Senior Football Championship uh, are now known. Champions uh, Kilmacud Croaks, of course, already through. They've been joined from Group A by Clontarf, who beat uh, Ballyboden St. Enders 3-10-2-7 on Wednesday. In Group B, well, Thomas Davis, they're back in the semi-finals. The Tallow Ladies had a huge 4-14 to two-point success over Kula in their final group game. They finished level on points with Foxhawk Cabantini on seven but that's a massive victory over Kula enough to see them over the line the semi-finals are fixed for next Wednesday both at eight o'clock it's Croaks versus Davis uh, meeting as they did in the final last year this time though the semi-final meeting will be at Park de Burke at the home of Kilmacud Croaks on Wednesday at eight o'clock and Nafina who have been particularly impressive coming through Group B they will face Clontarf that one is in Abbottstown and the final is fixed for Friday October the 6th at Parnell Park. So a good night's football, I think, in prospect there on Wednesday. Now, as we said at the start, it's quarterfinals weekend in the Senior One Football Championship for 2023. So massive games taking place at uh, county headquarters over the course of the weekend. And joining me now to look ahead to them is Brian Talty. A very good morning, Tals. How are you this morning? Morning, Dickie. Good, yeah. Lovely uh, morning. Ah, lovely morning indeed, and uh, plenty of good football to look forward to oh, over really the course of the weekend. And I suppose you know 
no better place to start than this evening at a quarter to five. The blockbuster clash of Kilmacud Croaks, the defending county, provincial and All-Ireland Club champions, of course, taking on Ballymun Kickhams, the last side other than Croaks to win the county title in 2020. And I think, Brian, first to say that, you know, had COVID not struck when it did in 2020, Ballymun would have had a serious impact on the All-Ireland Club Championship had it been played in, in that particular year. But they're meeting this evening in the quarterfinal at a quarter to five and this has Blockbuster written all over it. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to the the, the weekend's football deck and uh, some massive games. But this is this is the one I think you know. Um, and both teams have been well, Crokes have been going fairly well and putting up good scores. And you know, I think the score is something like one seventeen four eleven, that kind of fourteen points. Uh, Ballymun hasn't really hit it yet, but uh, but we know the talent that they have in their team. And both these teams have some unbelievable talent. When you look at the forward talent. Um, unbelievable like you're looking at uh, Paul Mannion Shane Walsh um, and, and then you're looking at hopefully for Ballymun Paddy Small who's been out Declan a bit uh, with, a, with a hamstring injury I'm sure they're hoping he's going to be there today with Dean Rock uh, James McCarthy coming through the middle huge talent out there today so um, yeah I, I, I just think Ballymun if they bring their A game if they bring that aggression that they play with uh, if they really go for it and as far as I know I've seen them train in, uh, in Abbottstown here they're really motivated by the fact they're taking on Tim McCull Croke so this is going to be a huge game and uh, I, I, I think whatever defence can get on top of the forward line is the team that's going to win it so which that is Declan we don't know until the day today but uh, really looking forward to the big challenges there today. Yeah, it can be difficult, of course, Brian, to to come back after the high of an All Ireland Club title win. Never mind a county title win and defend your titles. But Crokes have made a fairly good uh, fist of that so far. And um, while last year, of course, they added Shane Walsh to their panel, which had a tremendous uh, positive impact off the field this year. They've brought in former Mead star Bernard Flynn uh, uh, as well. What what the extra does he give the the camp off the field? Do you think? Bernard is a very good man manager you know he'd be, he'd be very good with the players and uh, you know he'd be able to talk to the forward line particularly and you know when I look at that, that Crokes forward line Declan um, you, you know there's a great blend in it you know you have Shane Cunningham and you have Shane Horn who do tremendous amount of work and then you have the Paul Paul Mannions the Hugh Kennys Darren Mullen it's it's a really good forward line you know so Bernard has a lot to work with to be honest with you there. any coach who wanted to work with a forward line that's a forward line you want to work with so I'm sure he'll have an influence over the whole thing he's he's a cool can customer so um, yeah it'll be it'll be interesting because Robbie was doing a great job out there anyway so so uh, just adding that a, a, a new voice I suppose that's what he wants Oh, he's doing a great job right now though, as they hunt down the three in a row we could talk about this game all night but uh, we have to move on because there's so much other quality football we hope to look forward to uh, as well oh sorry just before we move on um, the nod in that one Crokes or, or Ballymun well um, I'm just hoping that, that Ballymun bring their, their aggressive skillful game to this and that uh, you know the likes of Paddy Small and um, James McCarthy are without injury like I think James McCarthy a little injury throughout the championship uh, and if they're flying uh, and Johnny Small does a good job back in the back it'll be a very tight game but I think the panel overall and that forward line that's uh, that, that Crooks have I think they'll just about get there and we're just hoping for a great game of football yeah, if they come through, there'll be a point waiting and park the broker for you. You can be sure of that, Brian. No doubt about it. Okay, that's the tip on that one. Well, the second semi final, by the way, the game is live on television this evening, but I would urge 
GA people and just football sporting people in general to get to Parnell Park particularly for that first game this afternoon so much inter-county All-Ireland winning talent on display it would be money well spent anyway the second game this evening is a cross Liffey game between Ballyboat and St Enders and Castle Knockboden topped the group uh, this year but they went one better with a 100% record in Group 1 and they're taking on Castle Knock who have been there thereabouts for the last couple of years um, a fine developing team of course built around the attacking prowess of Kieran Kilkenny so who's going to come through that one do you think Brian and why? Uh, I'm looking at Bally Bowden all through the championship, Declan, and they're 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 playing really well. I think they can go another step as well, but they're putting in huge scores, like they're scoring three seventeen one seventeen one sixteen. Uh, no huge scores, and when you look at the forward line, Ryan Bascal is 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 the leader in the forward line, and then he has Collie, his brother beside him. Now the other fellow, Ross Ross McGarry, as well is there, but. Warren Egan has been getting great scores for them, so their forward line are are are, are very good. Like, but I was impressed with Castlenock, especially against Croaks. Now, especially early on in the game, they really went at Croaks. They took them on, they ran at them, they caused huge problems. Uh, you know, with the likes of Rob Shaw, Tomas um, Shields, Senan Falker, Owen O'Brien driving forward from the half back line, and then of course you had Kieran Kilkenny, Luke Swan, and McDermott Rowe and Tommy McDonald, McDaniel up there. So they're a really good team. Uh, they just have to get the blend of defending and attacking. They really attack really well, but give away, uh, I think against Cross, give away easy enough goals, four goals or something like that. But they actually played really well. So they will really take, they'll take Bowden on. But I think Bowden, they have a great panel of players. And with that forward line that they have, and, and again with Michael McDonald in the middle of the field, Michael Garrett comes in and they have a fellow called Keane Darcy from Galway playing in the middle of the field as well they're very very strong uh, I just think they might tip that but I think it'd be a really good game we're expecting the Ballymun uh, Croaks game to be a big game this is going to be a big game as well and it'll be a huge challenge I, I'd go for Borden on it because uh, I'd be watching them all year and they're going really well but I think Casanac will give a right good shot Yeah, quarter to seven that one is uh, this evening at uh, County Headquarters completing the double bill there so then to uh, tomorrow afternoon Brian another double header it starts with St Jude's taking on Kula at the Parnell Park and um, Stewart's a very impressive three victories in the group uh, so far improving all the time taking on a Kula team who qualified for the quarterfinals thanks to the head-to-head rule um, after beating Thomas uh, Davis so how do you see th- this one going tomorrow is, is it going to be well there's obviously going to be a Southside team in the last four from this particular game but uh, which one is it going to be? Uh, I, I think Jews will probably take it. Now, a lot of people talk about Jews and say we don't like Washington Jews because they're a very defensive team. Now, they have been Declan over the last few years, but Kieran Durkin, is, he told me there lately that he's the only forward that has been a forward coach that they've had in a long time. Uh, and with the forward line that he has, you look at his full forward line of Pat Spillane, Dara Rooney, who's from Leitrim, a really good player, and Liam Connaughton from Longford. They're putting up huge scores. So... Um, They've gone. They are good defensively. They've Tom Lehiff in the middle of the field, and they have these forwards, and they're putting up. They're putting up big scores for a defensive team. They're putting up four eleven, two eleven, one twelve in their three games. Like it's huge scores, uh, and I, I just think they might have just too much for for Kula. But there's something in the back of my head, Declan, that's saying this Kula team are improving all along. Their their first game against Rohini wasn't great, uh, but but their last two games particularly putting um, Thomas Davis out of the championship was a huge, huge thing for them, you know. So 
They have Niall O'Callaghan, Con O'Callaghan, Luke Keating in the forward line, and Mick Fitz is soldiering at the back. It's going to be another tight game. I think they're all going to be tight. I'll go for Jews on it because I think they have a good defensive record, and now the forwards are beginning to motor as well. So okay. uh, I'd go for them, but it'll be tight. Okay, I'll move on then quickly to the last one Rahini taking on St. Vincent's. And I'd have to say that the man who's manning the green flag uh, at the attacking end for Rahini tomorrow will be hoping he has a quieter afternoon than his, uh, his colleague would have had the last day against Luke and Sarsfields when he had to raise it no fewer than seven times. Vins back in Division 1 or Senior 1 Championship after winning Senior 2 last year. Who's going to come through in this all north side battle, Brian? Yeah, what a performance by Vincent's the last day. Like everybody would have had um, Nafina as one of the tips for the championship. Uh, now they're gone and Vincent had put up a huge performance the last day. Led by uh, Dara Cummins, uh, at centre-back a Sligo guy who, who they have now at centre-back driving forward scored three points and again that great forward Mossy Quinn what a game he had and, and, and what a pass he gave Declan to set up a goal for, for Sean Lamb Vincent's beginning to go nicely Rahini the last day very good in the second half they're forwards who have a load of potential really hit it on the day hopefully they'll have a few of those scores left for today because uh, they, they certainly need it. It's a lo- real local derby. The performance of Brian Fenton in the middle of the field, Sean McMahon in the defence will be important. And uh, I think Rohini will win the game if they can control Mossy and Dara Cummins at centre half back. Great so stuff. I'm, I'm hoping my heart is saying uh, Rohini. Your heart is saying Rohini, I understand that, and yeah. Hopefully they, will, <laughs> hopefully they will take it, but it will be a, <laughs> there I am again, Declan. It's going uh, to be another tight battle. Okay. Listen, Brian, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme there, the great uh, Brian Talty. Finally, Red, just want to say the month of September, of course, was traditionally All-Ireland final month and there's a lot of anniversaries of All-Ireland victories being celebrated by various teams over the last uh, number of weeks. But one of the most poignant ones, of course, was 1983, um, Dublin beating Brian Talty's Galway, the Twelve Apostles and all that. And that was 40 years ago this month, can you believe it? Rain sodden Croke Park. Well, was that la- I think it was the last time that it was a non-ticket event actually mm. um, but uh, a very poignant um, occasion because of course since we've lost the great Mick Holden Richie Crean the Blue Panther Anton O'Toole and Brian Mullins who believe it or not his first anniversary is next Saturday Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself Ken and Reggie Have a good weekend <laughs>